You and I can fight over a rug, along with a lot of other things. Just how do landlords and tenants ever agree on tenant finish-out? Who pays for what? Can the tenant do anything at once in this space? What happens if a project doesn't finish on time? I'm Jen Gibbons. And I'm Bob Gibbons. Today, on the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, we'll discuss how to protect yourself in a shootout at the TI Corral with your landlord. First, I use the term TI in the intro. Stop using these acronyms. <laughs> what does TI stand for? You love acronyms more than anybody I know, I know. And here you are using them and always telling me not to. That's why I was back at you. All right. Well, TIs stand for tenant improvements. And it was kind of funny. I had lunch with somebody today and she kept referring to it as TIA. And I was like, wait a minute. Tenant Improvement Allowance. Right. Uh, But it cracked me up because I think of TIAs as, you know, something happening in your brain when you get old. (laughs) A small seizure. (laughs) Anyway, so it just basically means the improvements needed in a space to make it suitable for a tenant when they're going to, you know, move into a space and conduct their business there. So do tenants ever just lease the space the way it comes with no changes? You know, occasionally small tenants will do that or uh, people in a rush will lease a space that's already finished out and ready to occupy And um, these are called spec suites, you know, and landlords have been building these in office buildings for many years. In fact, there are a few buildings, a few landlords, I should say, that have built new buildings from the ground up and finished out the entire building with spec suites from the beginning. And uh, I first heard of this back um, in Phoenix, of all places, back in um, the the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. And I was like, what? That's crazy. I can't believe somebody's doing that. Well, that is being done in DFW and has been now for probably 10 or 15 years. And they've been really, really successful because it really fills a need in the market for small tenants that need to move into a space quickly. Okay, but just how big is that market? I mean, what percentage of space is in this spec condition? You know, very little, actually. I, I It wouldn't even be close to 5% uh, of the total office market. Okay, so what are the other 95% of the tenants doing? Well, they're negotiating with their landlords to have the space finished out uh, specifically for their needs. So what does that look like in practice? Well, you know, in the in our last episode, we talked about a needs assessment and creating a space program where you identify each space. So that's really the first step once you've identified the corporate goals and objectives. So you create that space program and you also talk about what a timing is available. You know, if you only, if you have to make a decision in three months, you don't have time for construction. You have to go out and find a space that's already built out. If you have six or more months, then yeah, you may have time for construction. So figure out that timing, do your property tours of the various options out there, and then for the short list, meaning the one to three buildings that you're seriously interested in, you know, ask for a space plan to be created to show how your needs are going to fit within that building. And almost every building has an architect of record, and the landlord has this relationship with that architect in advance, and they will create that space plan for you. They can usually do it and you know, one to four days and uh, show you what that will look like. Once you've identified the one you want, then you have to really negotiate 
you know, how it's going to work, who pays for it. And the two real key things here are, is it going to be a turnkey finish out or an allowance finish out? And, uh, and all that means is if it's turnkey, the landlord is going to build it out according to the specs of the tenant and just hand the keys when the space is finished. An allowance deal is the landlord's going to say, I'm going to give you $20 a square foot for improvements. Now it's incumbent on the tenant to manage the numbers. They have to make sure that the, you know, the, the scope is accurate to what they want, that they've had general contractors bid it, that they know how all this is going to happen and manage that budget. So I assume the plans include like picking out stuff like carpet and countertops and paint, but does it get more complex than that or just how many options are the tenant provided? Yeah, I mean, it can get a lot more complicated. There are literally millions of options. I mean, you think of flooring alone, they, boy, the options include everything from sealed concrete, stained concrete, luxury vinyl tile, uh, just vinyl composition tile, VCT instead of LVT, stone tile, ceramic tile, wood. I mean, how many different kinds of wood are there? I mean, there, there are so many options, and that's just the flooring. You know, start talking about wall covering, countertops, lighting, and it just gets overwhelming in a hurry. So how does a tenant navigate with all these choices? Well, a lot of it's the, the architect. I mean, the one who created that space plan, the company, uh, can also, in most cases, help pick the finishes and make sure they're all coordinated. You know, some landlords even uh, do this in advance and have finish boards showing pre-selected <clears throat> carpet, base, countertops, uh, paint, all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it really it really works out well because it makes it a very visual, tangible thing. And all those color schemes are, you know, they might have anywhere from two to five color schemes that are available in that. Uh, some tenants, however, will hire their own interior designers uh, when they have very specific needs. Okay, so this is just for new buildings being built out for the first time, right? Or as we like to call them, first gens. Uh, no, it's uh, actually not. Uh, even if the space has previously been built out, or what we like to call second gen, <laughs> uh, it may need to be fully configured. I mean, maybe you're going to demo the whole thing and start over. Um, so it depends on what the tenant's needs and desires are. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, does, it usually doesn't take as much work for first gen um, on average, but it can, depending on the retrofit. So you mentioned turnkey versus allowance earlier. Exactly what is the difference in practice? Well, like I was saying earlier, the, the big difference is who's managing the money and the timing. So there are a couple of issues there. One, on the money, it's who has responsibility for the money. On a turnkey deal, you have to identify the scope of the work. And then if there are any changes to the work that result in higher money, well, now that's the tenant's cost. In an allowance deal, like I said, the, the landlord gives you 20 bucks a square foot. That's all they're paying. You pay everything above that. You change the scope of the work. And you know what? The, the, the initial scope of the work may be more than that. We've had clients where we got a $30 allowance and they spent $60. we have seen some that got a $30 allowance and spent $29.50. Um, you know, so it's, it's all over the board. But, you know, you got to make sure before you sign the lease what the scope is, and it needs to have been priced. If the landlord is going to do it on a turnkey basis, they're not signing a lease until they know what that cost is going to be. On the other hand, if it's an allowance deal and the tenant's responsible, well, now the tenant shouldn't sign the lease until they've had it bid and know what it's going to cost. 
So managing the money is a big difference between those two as to who's going to be responsible for that. When it comes to timing, the big issue there is when's the lease going to start? So in an allow, in a turnkey deal where the landlord's responsible for all the work, most of the time the landlord is not, I mean, the lease is not going to start or be or commence, we call it, until the landlord finishes that work. And so the commencement date could be defined in the lease as the later of, you know, June 1 or the date the space is substantially complete. Uh, whereas if the tenant's managing the thing, they're hiring the general contractor, that kind of thing, <clears throat> well, now the landlord's going to say, well, look, I'm not in control of this. The lease has got to s- commence on some date specific. And so we may give you 60, 90, 120 days for improvements. But you know what? At the end of that period, if it's not finished, that's not my fault. That's your fault, tenant. Therefore, the rent's going to start anyway, or the commencement of the rent schedule is going to start at that point. Okay. So it's really important. To flush that out just a bit more, you were talking about hiring the general contractor. Yeah. Who actually does hire the GC and the architect? It's negotiable, but I would say, again, this is uh, a function of the size of the tenant quite often. The smaller the tenant is, the less they're going to want to manage that. And so the landlord's going to insist on using the architect of record for the building, and they're going to want to make sure a contractor that they are comfortable with is doing the work. I mean, if they're doing a turnkey, they're responsible for everything. That's They're going to hire the people they want. If the tenant's going to be responsible for it, and especially, again, as we get to larger tenants, then the larger tenants have the power to dictate who they want. You know, we're working with a large company right now, um, 60-plus thousand square foot deal. Well, we dictated who the general contract, I'm sorry, who the um, architect was to do all the work, and they will also dictate who the general contractor is when they get around to that. Now, the landlord's going to be able to say, hey, i got to approve the contractor, I've got to approve the architect, make sure they know what they're doing, that they have experience in this kind of a building, and sometimes the, the, the landlord may even have control or approval rights to certain subcontractors. For example, the air conditioning system in the building, well, that affects everybody in the building, right? So you get the wrong air conditioning contractor in there, messes up the system, that affects everybody in the building, the landlord's going to have a big problem. Therefore, they're going to want to know who you're using in advance. Same thing with things like fire safety, uh, maybe electrical in some cases. So certain subcontractors may also be subject to approval uh, by the, the landlord. So listening to you talk about that, it seems like a turnkey finish out protects the tenant better because then they don't have to worry about the cost or when the work gets finished. Would you say that's accurate? Well, funny you should ask. We've had a couple of situations where disagreements have um, arisen over the meaning of what was to be um, allowed or what was, you know, the scope. So, for example, we had a client several years ago where we said in the contract, the landlord had to renovate the ceiling of the space because the ceiling tile, the grid, uh, the air air return grills, all this kind of stuff was really in bad shape. I mean, the space was 30 years old or more and had never been replaced. So it really needed to be renovated. New grid, new tile, all this kind of stuff. So we put that in the lease. Well, the landlord later came back and said, well, they refused to replace the air return grills even though they were rusted and looked horrible. And this was kind of an industrial flex kind of space. And they just refused to do it. And their argument was that was not in the definition of the work to be done. And we're like, it's in the ceiling. You can see it. That's part of the ceiling. And they just flat refused. 
And so in that case, the only option was to sue them, you know, or withhold rent, which the tenant didn't have the right to do that because that's what we call offset rights. And that's extremely rare to have that in a lease. So, you know, in that case, you know, we just had to keep uh, pestering the landlord. And, and ultimately, the, the dispute went on so long that we were actually negotiating another lease renewal before we got it resolved. And we had to resolve it in the next lease renewal negotiations. It was insane. Um, but we had another one this week where we were in a meeting um, where, uh, you know, we had the client in the meeting. I think there were four or five people from the client in the building or in the space um, in the meeting. We had the architect there. We had uh, the project manager for the landlord, a couple of the leasing agents, the property manager. I mean, and me. I mean, there was probably, what, 11, 12 people in this room. All pertinent actors. Yes, all very pertinent actors. And uh, and in that discussion, you know, we had said, hey, this is a, a high-end client. They're in the financial services business. You know, we're not going to be expecting, quote, building standard finishes. Um, and this is a turnkey deal. So we're still negotiating this deal. But one of the leasing guys made the comment about, well, now remember, this is building standard. And I was like, uh, sorry, but it was not. The other leasing guy and I have talked many times and we've understood that there's going to be glass and there's going to be upgraded floors and there's going to be granite countertops, not laminate. And there's going to be a full kitchen, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and I had to get pretty firm about that in the meeting. I, I don't think I was rude, but I had to get very specific and, and firm with that because, you know, here we are negotiating a deal. We think we have a deal. We actually already have a lease that we're reviewing. And yet they then come back around and start talking about building standard. So this is where we get down to being very specific on the scope. And so we've agreed that we're not going to sign that lease until we have a plan that we can attach as an exhibit to that lease so that that scope is memorialized and, you know, sort of set in stone, if you will, um, so we know what we're going to be getting at the end of the day. Okay, so brokers are throwing around those kind of terms, standard finish, builder grade, et cetera. Can this really make a huge difference in how things turn out? I mean, I want to walk out to the quarry and put my finger on the actual countertop and say, I'm taking the pretty blue one with the gray veining. Is that how it works, or do you just pick from a storyboard and I'll take the third one to the right? You know, the more specific you can be, the best, better it is, because that leaves less room for disagreement later. But yeah, I mean, if if you if the landlord has finished boards already created in advance and you're willing to accept that, then that probably is a pretty good way to go. We don't see that a lot in the higher end buildings. Uh, we see that a lot in like um, uh, flex buildings, low end office buildings. Uh, but in sort of what I would call the B and C office buildings, the bigger ones especially, we don't very often see finished boards. So um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely room for. Uh, disagreement and um, and yeah, the more specific you can be. I mean, get. I mean, th these architects. I've been in some a lot of their offices, and they will have these what they call their finish rooms, and they'll have all of these sample books with tile and carpet and luxury vinyl tile and stone and wood and I mean and like a hundred, two hundred versions of that that you can pick. And they actually have kind of like you know when you go to Sherwin Williams paint stores. And you pull all those little paint chips, and each one of those paint chips has a different name and a different number mm -hmm. to identify that specifically. Well, all these other things do too. And so whenever you create a true 
pricing plan or a what we call construction documents, you're getting excruciatingly specific at that point, showing exactly what is going to happen. Now, a lot of times we'll do a space plan before the lease is signed. Sometimes we'll do a, a, what we call a pricing plan, which is kind of like a space plan with a whole bunch of finish notes. But we don't typically see full construction documents created before a lease is signed because they're expensive. Nobody wants to spend that money not knowing if the lease is really going to get signed. And, um, and so once you go to construction documents, now you actually may say, all right, we're going to have these cabinets that are going to be put in the space. We're actually going to have shop drawings showing what those look like. We're going to have uh, engineered drawings, meaning the mechanical air conditioning system, the electrical and the plumbing systems are not designed by the architect, but designed by an MEP design engineer. So that's a whole other level of uh, being specific. But it's not, it's not normal for us to have construction documents, CDs done prior to a lease actually being signed. Okay, so fun topic during this COVID hazard time. What if I can't? get the finishes I want, and or they'll be here in three years. <laughs> Do I have to choose something else? Can I get it into the space within the time frame allowed? Does that slide my commencement date? I mean, how is all that handled, I mean, especially now? Great question, because all those things are happening. And uh, so this is really tripping up a lot of people. So delays are often defined in the lease, and you need to make sure you know what that means. It will actually have a defined term, tenant delay. So, for example, if, a, if the, uh, the landlord creates the plans or the architect creates the plans and they send them to the tenant for review and the tenant doesn't respond within the time frame required in the lease, three days, five days, whatever it is, for every day beyond that, that's considered a tenant delay. And so in calculating what the commencement date would be, and let's assume it was supposed to have been June 1 without the delay and it's now going to be June 15, well, even though June 15 may be the delay, but those two day, two weeks are caused by the tenant, guess what? You June 1 is rent. still the commencement date, <laughs> yeah. and that's when the rent schedule starts. So um, that's a, a big issue. If you insist on having a particular product in your space, but it's on the back order, it's going to be coming from Belgium or something, yeah, I mean, if you're willing to wait for that, then you should be the one responsible for that delay. Um, where it gets hairy is what happens when there are Penalty, you know, when the, when there are delays and the tenant has a lease expiring, and so there's a concept called holdover. So if I don't get out of my lease by May 31st when my lease expires and I stay into June, the landlord can charge me a higher rent, 150 percent, 200 percent of whatever I've been paying, and they can, you know, if you stay one day, they can charge you for the whole month in many cases. So who pays for that? Well, if the lease contract doesn't specifically say that the landlord has penalties built into it for delays caused not by the fault of the tenant, well, too bad. That's the tenant's cost. So you got to build that in. And again, you know, part of that is, has the tenant uh, started soon enough to leave appropriate mm -hmm. time? You know, if you're in the landlord's office trying to sign a lease two months before expiration and you need a complete build out, it's going to take you six or eight weeks just to get your permit after getting your documents created, which takes three weeks by itself, and then it takes eight or ten weeks to build it after that. Well, that's not fair to that be the landlord's fault. But anyway, so you got to deal with all those things throughout the process. And uh, and if, if penalties are necessary, you need to be talking about those right up front early in the process so that, um, you know, you're not surprising anybody with that later. Basically, your bottom line is be as specific as possible and start way in advance to have plenty of time for the process. Absolutely. 
I can't stress that enough. Start early. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. At Riata Commercial Realty, we exclusively serve companies that lease and purchase office and warehouse space. We never represent landlords. Find us at texastenantrep.com or give us a call at 972-677-0028. Tell your sisters, tell your friends, we need more listeners. See you next week. Bye.